You know, this week we get to get started on the third installment of the Exodus series. But before I get started today, let me mention to you men, uh, if you want to be a part of the herd, that's what that trailer was about, being a godly man. If you want to fellowship every Tuesday night with about 35 to 40 men, uh, we are inviting you to do that. This herd makes a difference. Many of the guys sitting in this room are a part of the herd, and we're excited about that. But if you haven't joined yet, we encourage you. Do you realize that five of the six men that went on our trip last week were a part of the herd? Making a difference. And I'm excited about that. But Exodus chapter, Exodus, our third installment into the series. Here we've had God say to Moses last week through a burning bush moment. You know, we went the first week and we decided that the people of Israel had been convinced to live under their potential. They became slaves because somebody told them they were supposed to be. They didn't lose a battle. And they were bound into this slavery and slowly but surely over, over year after year they lost more and more freedom. And we talked about how sin can do that in our lives where we think we are having fun and we think we are doing these things that are exciting. And then all of a sudden we turn around and our life's a mess because we've actually been put into bondage. I know that my life was like that. I thought that, you know, partying with a hundred people a night, I thought, man, that's... That's uh, my thing. Until I realized that the thing that I was partying with was telling me when to get up. It was telling me when to go to bed. It was ruining a college career. <laughs> you know, when you go to class high, you don't, you know, my grades were good, but my, I was so arrogant because one, I was inebriated most of the time. I remember snatching a syllabus out of my professor's hand and telling them, I'll be back at the midterm in the final. Say, they said, I said, I'll turn in all of my assignments. And when I did that, he said, you'll never be able to pass my class. And then I passed the class by passing the final and making an A on or the midterm and then making an A on the final. And he withdrew me for lack of attendance. I lost scholarships. Now I found myself not able to go to school anymore. See, I found myself in bondage. Second, last week we talked about Moses and how God takes, and it would be wonderful if we could be separated from the crisis in our lives and that God could raise up a superhero like he did with Moses. But Moses wasn't born in another nation that was going to come and free the nation of the slaves. He was born as a slave. And moved his way to a palace where he had authority and power for 40 years. And then he thought that this was going to be the way that God was going to use to free his people. But what we found out that he prematurely tried to become the redeemer. And it cost him 40 years in a wilderness. In that wilderness it broke him. And he thought that his best days were behind him. And all of a sudden now, this man that once was eloquent in speech now was stuttering. And he was watching a few sheep that didn't even belong to him. They actually belonged to his father-in-law. And he was learning how the, the layout of the desert and the wilderness. And he was traversing these uh, few flock of sheep over mountains that later would become known as the mountain of God. And on that mountain of God, he saw a burning bush. And he got out of the normal path and God started speaking to him. And he said, now Moses, it's time for you to be the man that I've created you to be. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because today we're going to find Moses not no, no longer at a burning bush. See, sometimes the people of God 
You ever encountered the presence of God so strongly that you wanted, you got this feeling when you were close to God? And a lot of times the church has become addicted to the feeling when they get around God instead of doing the work that God wants to empower and enable them to do. They just want another feeling. And so many times the church stays around the burning bush when God's intended them to be in front of Pharaoh. Today in Exodus chapter 5 through chapter 10, we're going to talk about Moses in the presence of Pharaoh. This guy that is in the story, an analogy of the devil, the, the, the enemy of our soul. That's who Pharaoh represents in the story. So would you bow your heads and let's pray one time before I start uh, teaching today. Father, I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows teaching to be powerful, not because of the person saying it, but because of the person that it's about. So Father, we give you all glory and praise and ask for the authority of your word to be revealed in everyone's heart and that our eyes would be open to see and be revealed through scripture who you really are. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said... See, Moses has left the burning bush. He's now standing in front of uh, Pharaoh and he's risking his life because when he left 40 years ago, he was a fugitive wanted for murder. Now he stands in front of Pharaoh, the one that has the authority to take his life because he believes that the God of the burning bush is strong enough to protect him from the man that could take his life. God has given him instructions. I want you to go stand before Pharaoh and I want you to declare that it is time for my people to be set free. Now there's something unique about this moment. It's found in Exodus chapter 5 verse 1. And it says this, And after Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. I want you to look very closely at that scripture, if they can put it back up on the screen for just a moment. Because the first time in scripture, God is identifying himself as the God of Israel. He, is, uh, he has been known in times past. He has been known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for the very first time, he is identifying himself as the God of Israel. And you say, well, pastor, what is important about the God of Israel? It's the God of the slaves. God is saying to his people and to you and I, which should be an encouragement, you don't have to be famous for me to love you. See, the God of Abraham is this man that just stepped out on faith and went where God told him to go. And he passed that on to, as, as a covenant to his son Isaac. And Isaac passed it to his son Jacob. And these are patriarchs of the faith. And God has been associated for, in, in Scripture for years after years of being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when he says, I'm the God of Israel, he's saying, I'm the God of everybody. And I'll be the God of even the nation of slaves. See, that's encouraging to me because sometimes I feel like I, I, I'm going to end up writing a book, I, I think, uh, I hope one day, called Peter, James, and John and the Rest of Us. See, because if you really find out that there are, when you go to the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes Peter and, and James and John to a different place in the garden. And he tells the other guys, you stay here. 
And sometimes in ministry, we look at ourselves and try to gauge ourselves based upon the success of how many we can gather in a crowd. When God gauges our success based upon how obedient we are to an assignment. See, some people like me are not called to pastor 10,000 people. Does that make me less? No, that's, that's the Peter, James, and Johns. They're the, you know, the, the famous guys, the Francis Chans, the Mark Driscolls, you know, the, all of these guys that write all of the books and pastor all these large, what we call mega churches. But it doesn't mean the rest of us are not important. See, you may not be the person that makes the most money on your block. You may not even be the person that's the most talented in, your, in the athletics of, of maybe your school or high school. Or maybe you felt like that you, know, you don't have the highest paying job of all the things that culture wants to identify us as being successful. And God says, hey, I don't care where you are in life. I don't care if you're the richest person in this room or the poorest person in this room. I love you the same. Can you imagine now being a God that is so confident about his identity that he is now going to be identified with a nation that has not tasted the breath of freedom for 400 years? They're all slaves. And God says, I'll be your God. I'll be the one that will be with you. And so God tells uh, Moses to tell Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go so we can go worship. See, there's one thing about freedom. It's just not a get-out-of-help-free pass. See, I'm not here to sell you fire insurance for your eternity. Many people have boiled this thing down to heaven or hell at the end of their lives. And what they do is they live through hell in their life and hope for heaven after their life. Hey, I'm telling you there is a reality of hell and there is a reality of heaven, but you don't have to wait to die to find out which one you want to live in. Scripture tells us in John 10 and 10 that we can have life and have it more abundantly right now. That we can have a relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that allows us to be changed and transformed into His reflection of His glory in such a way that we can enjoy living life right now. Now, I used to, uh, you guys know, most of you know my background. I lived on Panama City Beach. I never lived on the streets, but I was functionally homeless. I lived couch to couch. I got high every day and would start drinking about noontime. Every single day. I partied with about a hundred people, beautiful people. I don't know why they let me in. I don't. I mean, beautiful people. And I felt absolutely alone. It wasn't because I would be absent of female companionship. I was always with somebody. But I never could make my heart available to them for them to be with me. So even though I was in a crowd, I felt absolutely alone. And what I didn't realize is that there was a moment that God was going to allow. That just because I got free from the addictions of drugs and alcohol did not mean that it was just going to heaven that God wanted to set me free from my sins. What he wanted to do was make me the man that he created me to be. And in the process of making me the man that he's created me to be, he revealed that he wanted me to be a, a minister, a pastor, a vocational um, uh, uh, minister that would share the gospel for now 25 plus years. 
We just want it to be heaven and hell. And so what God did was he said, I want you to be able to be free enough to worship. See, if I could guarantee that everybody that would come forward and pray a prayer would never experience the eternity of hell, and that was all you got was fire insurance, I wonder how many people would come forward just for that. You say, well, pastor, I would make that, that walk because I don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. And at the end, you would end up in heaven and you would have missed the experience and the adventure of living life with an almighty God. I've been married now for over 30 years. And I come from an environment like that of partying every single night with a big bunch of people. And I'll tell you, I didn't miss anything. I told a young man that was going into the FBI, I got the honor of marrying him and his wife. I said, besides my adventure with God, my adventure with my wife has been the second greatest adventure of my entire life. I said, I wouldn't trade my experience with her for anything on earth. Because I've lived an adventure with her and God that has let me see things that I never would have dreamed about seeing. I've been a part of things I never thought I would be a part of. And it's not just about going to heaven, but it was about living life right here. I've been in some of the worst situations of life. You know, that's one thing about being a minister. You're, at, you're with people at their best day and at their worst day. I have walked to the edge of, of gravesides where parents were burying their children, and that's unnatural. It's heart-wrenching. You would rather be anywhere on earth, and I've seen God show up in a tent in the middle of a cemetery and start comforting a family that no words possible could comfort. I've been there when I watched a baby get his sight back where we laid hands on them and prayed for a baby absolutely blind. And by the end of a service, I've watched them receive their sight. I've seen my mom get up from a wheelchair, suffering from multiple sclerosis for over 10 years and run up and down stairs. And she'll be here in second service today. And she's beautiful. I'm not going to tell you how old she is, but you would never guess. You would say she's not old enough to be his mom. I've been a part of seeing God transform unbelievable situations that seem to have no hope into situations of hope. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. And if you just want heaven, you're missing the essence of why God wanted to save you. He wanted you to be free to be in His presence to worship. And He said, let them go so they could go out into the wilderness and worship. But do you know what happens when the enemy notices that you want more than just going to heaven? You know what, for the most part, he's okay with you going to heaven? That's what blinded the church for years. We thought that God and Satan were in this, ma this massive war over your soul. And that if the enemy got more people to go to hell than heaven, he would win. The problem is, is it's more than just about your soul at the end. Because if I'm the devil, I'm okay with you staying in church. I'm okay with you going to heaven. As long as you never fulfill your destiny. 
As long as your life never touches the lives of the people around you to make them want to go to heaven and experience a relationship with Christ, I'm okay with the selfish Christianity of of let them just be okay with them going to heaven. They're four and no more. Wouldn't that be wonderful if, you know, wouldn't the enemy had won had Billy Graham thought that? Billy Graham and his crusades are responsible for 11 million people coming to the knowledge of Christ. Don't you think the devil would have been okay with just him going to heaven? If he had got saved, his friend would have invited him to that service. Then he had got saved and he had continued uh, just being a shoe salesman. But he became a shoe salesman that learned how to preach. And that preacher started preaching to to Colosseums. And those Colosseums at the end, a simple message about Jesus dying on a cross and resurrecting from the dead and loving them unconditionally. And then somebody would sing, just as you are, and thousands of people would come from the balcony to the front to receive this relationship with Christ. Oh, the devil would have been happy just to let him go to heaven. I wonder how many you're supposed to impact. Maybe it's five, maybe it's ten, maybe it's one, but the one that you're supposed to impact is the next Billy Graham. See, it's not just about you going to heaven, it's about you fulfilling the call and being free in worship in the presence of God. And you know what happened when Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go so they could go worship? He said, not only am I not going to let them go, but I'm going to make their work harder. I'm going, to quit doing, I'm going to quit bringing them straw. They're going to have to go get straw. And now I'm going to require them to build as many bricks or I'm going to whip them. I'm going to give them less time to do the same amount of work, basically what he's saying. Isn't that what happens when you decide to make changes in your life, to navigate yourself to a relationship with Christ, and you begin to try to process going past going to heaven but learning how to worship in the presence of God? Because in the presence of God is where the revelation comes of who you really are. Anybody ever heard people in your... Maybe you've said this. I know I've heard it a million times. Pastor, I started doing right and all hell broke loose. I thought God was going to be on my side. Anybody ever heard that? That's the Pharaoh coming back and saying, let's see how bad you really want to worship. Let's see how bad you really want to get in the presence of God. Is he really going to be worth it? Because I'll make it hard on you and find out. This thing about our faith, wouldn't it be wonderful? And, and, and I'm so frustrated sometimes with the modern way that we do church. And I'm not about living in the past. I'm just asking for us to be real. You know, I wish years ago we'd have just been real with people and said, you know what, we're not perfect. We still mess up. But no, we wanted to keep the identity of we're perfect and they called us hypocrites because they realized we weren't. So we just at CityGate, we just cut to the chase right off the bat. We just say, you know what? We're a bunch of messed up people that still mess up, but we love God with all of our heart and we try to become more and more like Him every single day. And so if you're looking for perfect Christians, you're not going to find them here. And matter of fact, you're not going to find them anywhere. So we're not really going to do a lot of judging because we don't have room to judge because if we judge, the Bible says He judges us. So what we are going to do is teach you how to get into his presence and begin to worship. And as you begin to worship, you're going to find out he is the treasure that is, a, that is greater than any other treasure. He is the pearl of great price. And I don't have to bound, pound the pulpit and tell you, if you don't shape up, you're going to hell. That may be a reality. 
But who wants a relationship based upon fear when you can have a relationship based upon love? I wasn't afraid of going to hell. I felt like my life was hell. And I know the literal hell is going to be worse. You know, we used to scare, you know, I, I don't mean to be funny and I'm not being disrespectful for where I am. We tried to scare the hell out of everybody. I know many people haven't heard pastors say that very often. But isn't that what we did? Well, let's ask that question. If you die tonight, where would you go? I don't know. Well, you'd probably go to hell. If you don't say this prayer, we'd lead them in this prayer. Now you're not going to hell anymore. Guess what? They didn't die that night. And then the next night they didn't die. And then the next night they didn't die. And this thing based upon fear of them dying overnight, all of a sudden the relationship waned. And it wasn't transformational. But if you find a God that would be God enough to be God even to the slaves, slaves to sin, and you'll find a broken man living on Panama City Beach that had squandered all of his future away and a God show up and love him when he couldn't even love himself. And that, that love motivated me. I wasn't perfect when I said the prayer. I wasn't perfect when after I said the prayer. But the one I said the prayer to was perfect enough for all of us. You ever notice that you get really busy when you want to worship? I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm talking about worship. So you can come to church and not find God. But you can't worship without Him. Because the Bible says wherever you worship, He'll come. So I found Him in my truck all by myself. Because that's really the only place that's safe enough for me to sing. And I would just be making up songs about Him. Him just show up in my truck. Because worship, Pharaoh says, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. And he makes this statement, and I'm gonna, i got like ten more minutes. He makes this statement, who is your God? And who is he that I should follow him? I'm Pharaoh. I'm king of all the known world. And God says, I'm about to show you who I am. See, you don't have a God. This is one of the things that I need, I'm going to preach in both services today. That you really, if you're a note taker, take this note for me right now. God is not a God that's like a, a character in a fairy tale that's in a land that's ne that you never get to go to. You know, like, uh, let's, let's pick a fairy tale. Like Cinderella. Anybody ever met Cinderella? At Disney World? Guess what? She works an eight-hour shift, and then another Cinderella shows up. You say, Pastor, there's no real Cinderella. It's a made-up story. This is not a made-up story. This is not a fairy tale. See, God's not just way over there hopeful. You know, it, it, it's not for the people with weak minds to create something because they can't deal with life. God will show up in power. That's what set me free, the God of power. And he says, I tell you what, Moses, I think it's in chapter 8, I think it is. He says, I'm about to show up with action. We're going to find out who I really am. Pharaoh wants to know who I am. I'm going to, I'm going to tell him who I am. And the first plague starts. It's water, in, uh, water turning to blood. You know what happens after the water turns to blood? Pharaoh calls his magicians and you know what they do? They turn the water into blood. 
See, sometimes the devil can... The devil's not this entity that's just a little bit weaker than God. He doesn't even compare to God. See, sometimes he can imitate God for a short time. He can imitate being powerful for a short time. Until you realize the one true God. See, the magicians were able to do the first plague... Then the second plague starts, the plague of the frogs. And you know what happened then? They replicated that plague. Then the third plague starts, the plague of gnats. And you know what happens then? They can't do it. They could only go so far. They couldn't couldn't sustain sovereignty. They couldn't sustain being all powerful. Now the magicians are failing and Pharaoh is getting frustrated because now his people can't replicate what God was doing. See, you can get better by good thoughts. That's what bugs me a little bit about this modern thing. We just think if we get people to think good thoughts, all the bad stuff goes away. Guess what? You can think all the good thoughts you want, bad stuff still going to happen. Bad stuff happens to good people. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you just prayed the prayer and no bad stuff ever happened to you again? How many of you have ever lost a loved one you really loved after you got saved? Say amen. amen. Wasn't it bad? Didn't it hurt? Wasn't there a lot of grief? It's not that God prevents bad stuff from happening. He's just willing to get in the bad stuff with you. So we now got this plague of gnats. That they can't replicate. And then I think the fourth plague is the plague of, fraud, uh, plague of flies. I'm going to go up here to my notes to make sure I, I preach this thing accurately. I don't want y'all to think I'm a heretic or anything. So now we got the fourth plague, the plague of flies. Here's where the negotiation start, starts. And I come all the way back up here to walk back down. I just wanted to make sure I was on the right track. Flies. Now, can you imagine, anybody ever been out where we live? Uh, I remember one time, it's just a side story, I'm a big fisherman. And so I had my wife and we were fishing near one of the islands here in town. Here out, out in that, we are actually in Pineland. I was catching a redfish about every three or four casts. I mean, it was just happening. Boom, 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 boom. And it was about an hour before dark and everything was just getting better. Except the no showed up. Anybody ever fought them no see They're bad stuff. You can't even see them. That's why they call them no see And if you looked at them under a microscope, they would just be all teeth. Because they just bite. And my wife, I turned around and she had covered her head with a towel. And she's got, and she said, we got to go. I said, go? This is what we've been waiting for. She said, oh, no, well, you might have been waiting for it, but we're leaving it. And she got her way and we left. So you've just experienced that with the gnats and now you got flies. Anybody else hate flies besides me? And Pharaoh starts to negotiate. And that's what the devil will do with you if you're really serious about your faith. He says, I'll let you worship. And, and I, I, I've changed my mind about you worshiping, but you've got to worship here. 
You've got to worship but still be a slave. But God's purpose is to set you free. And I wonder how many people have taken the negotiation and said, well, if the pain will just stop for a minute and give me some comfort, I'll be okay with that. Don't settle for anything less than what God has for you. I talked to two teenage, uh, well, they're not teenagers anymore. They're in their young 20s. And I talked to two late young ladies in their 20s. And ever since I've met them when they were really young teenagers, up until this moment uh, uh, a night or two ago, I told them, I would tell them the same thing when they were dating boys and stuff like that. I said, never settle for good when God's got a man that will treat you like you're great. Never settle for half freedom. Because half freedom is still bondage. Don't let him negotiate with you. I'll let you worship, but you can't worship. But you got to worship and still be bound. I'm still going to be present. No. Moses said, no, Pharaoh, we can't negotiate here. You're either going to set my people, God's people free or, or these are going to continue. And the Bible says his heart hardened each and every time. And the plagues continued. You had boils. You had hail. You had the last of the plagues, nine of the plagues. We're going to get to the tenth plague next week. It's, called, it's where we're going to talk about the Passover lamb. The ninth plague is darkness. And the Bible literally says, if you guys will find that scripture towards the end of the outline, it describes this darkness. And it's a darkness. Listen to this. It said... I better read up here, it's bigger. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all of the land of Egypt three days. And they did not see one another nor did anyone arise from his place for three days but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. I was in a community that didn't have any electricity. And after the sun went down, it was pitch black dark if you didn't have a lantern. And the Bible says this, that the people of God had light, but they couldn't even create, the the darkness had such a moisture to it that they couldn't even light a fire. And for three days they were in pitch black darkness where they couldn't even see one another. They couldn't get out of their house. Now I want you to see something here. Who's, Who's the slave now? Who's in prison now? People of God have light. They're moving around. The people that said that they were going to defy God and not let His people go, now they're confined to their houses or their prison cells for three days. See, God's not just a God of words. Miss Judy, if you'll get ready to play me something. He's not just a God of words. He's not a fairy tale that someday, somehow, you're going to get life happily ever after. This isn't a book of myths. It's a book of truth. And the only way that this book can have truth to it is if God can say it and then do it. And for 25 years, I've been watching him do this word. Sometimes, you know, I'm going to be honest, um, he doesn't do it the way I want him to. You know, like that movie trailer when the chaplain says, I trusted God with my men and those men died. And he said, no, you wanted God to do it your way. See, I found out that my ways weren't quite as good as God's ways. 
But what I want you to understand more than anything else, God is not intimidated by your current or former bondage. He is a God that can free you and supply the strength that you can stay free. The devil cannot handle a God of action, the God of the people. He is not equal to God in any way. He is just, he's not just a little weaker. He can't even compare to God. You have a relationship with a God or have an opportunity for a relationship with a God that can free you from whatever has you. I've seen drug dealers turn into pastors. I've seen the broken become whole. I've seen the abused get healed. I've seen those that were ne would never be selected by the culture of the day get selected by an almighty God. I've seen the desperate moving through crisis after crisis and I've watched an almighty God speak peace into their heart and into their life. I've seen the sick healed. You say, Pastor, does everybody you pray for get healed? Not the way I want them to. You say, well, Pastor, isn't there some people like, that, that we love like Ken that died of cancer, but yet we prayed for him to be healed. You know what this book says? There ain't no sick people in heaven. So Ken isn't suffering from cancer in heaven today. He's healed, just not the way I wanted him to be healed. I wanted him to be healed here. You know what? Isn't it amazing how we want everybody to live forever here? When God's provided them an eternity to live forever with him. But let me go back to a point I made earlier in the sermon so we could pray. If you're not saved today, I do encourage you to get saved, but not because of the fire insurance. I encourage you to get saved because you'll never walk alone again. There'll be a God that will walk with you, that will be your God. You say, well, Pastor, what if I mess up? Is he mean? No, he'll correct you. But he won't leave you. He's not the God with the white hair with the big book that's ready to scratch your name out. He sent his only, beloved, only begotten son that he could write your name in. His purpose is not to scratch you out, but to write you in. And he'll walk with you every single day of your life. Never to leave you or forsake you. And he'll be a God of action in your life. Would you stand to your feet and let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment so we can have a moment of privacy? Is there somebody here today that says, you know what, Pastor, I, I really have always looked at God through the lens of fire insurance. I just wanted Him not to send me to hell. But I'd like to begin a relationship with Him today that is built upon love and that if He could free a nation of slaves, he can certainly free me from my condition.
And I want to start a walk with him today that's built upon love, not fear. If that's you, there's nobody looking around. It's just me and you. I'm not going to have you move out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I would like for you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Yes, I see these hands go up today. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, today you saw every hand that went up. And you saw the faith that was required to know that you would see that hand when they lifted it. Now, Father, they may right now be saying to forgive them of their sins. And not only are you faithful to forgive them, but now you are committed to walk with them for the rest of their lives. They're never going to be the same again because the fellowshipping with you is going to bring them to a place where they understand who you created them to be. And in learning who you created them to be will be the place where they will find the most contentment, fulfillment, and happiness and joy. They'll find that you'll lead their lives to the path that will produce the opportunity for them to potentially have a spouse and children. You'll move them to a place where they have an understanding of the call that's on their life. They don't want to just go to heaven. They want you. So today, God, you'll never let them walk by themselves again. And I give you the praise and the honor of the same God that can free a nation of slaves will forever walk with every person that just raised their hand. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.